Alright guys, what's up? This is Inside the North Side, coming to you from this small campfire that I have going on. Um, I'm in the middle of the fucking woods, and uh, yeah, you can hear like the fucking fire crackling and the animals making their noise and shit. Anyways, so this is my, uh, this is my scary stories episode that I got for you guys, so, um, I got a couple scary stories that I got from Reddit, I don't know how scary they are, they might be scary to you, they might be scary to nobody, who knows, anyways, um, yeah, so here we go, uh, this is from a Redditor, uh, this this is gonna be a rather lengthy story, so please bear with me, guys. Back when I was in my mid to early mid-teens, around 2007, 2008, me and a bunch of friends would regularly hang out at an old abandoned school. Very small school with only eight classrooms. A teacher's room, a cafeteria, two bathrooms, and one room we had no idea was what it was. It was always locked. But I'll get back to that later. This school hasn't been able to keep up, hasn't been able to keep up since the 80s. Modernization of our town and a large number of newcomers that followed with it, as such as it uh, quickly closed down in favor of new schools and buildings by the end of the 80s. It's kind of fucking cold out here, guys. Most most of the place was boarded up completely, but you can enter through a window in one of the classrooms where the boardroom had been ripped down. Our routine was always the same. Whoever of of us got off school first would go down to the building and go through the different rooms to make sure everything was empty and quote-unquote safe. Uh, as these building... Uh, had earlier been known as a local spot for drug addicts and used needles and such a common sight for us by this point. So this one day, me me and a friend of mine were the first to get out of school. And as per usual, we take a walk down to the building. But upon entering and stepping out from the classroom and into the hallway, we immediately see a large man. I remember him uh, quite huge, but that might possibly be um, uh, how he appeared to us as kids. And my friend um, let us let out a huge ass scream. Uh, the man doesn't appear shocked or scared, and uh, doesn't seem to react to us. Oh, fuck. Fucking mosquitoes. As you, you know, as you guys, I told you, I'm fucking outside here in this campfire. Sounds nice, doesn't it? Anyways, uh, uh, he doesn't seem scared or shocked, and he doesn't seem to react to us, but he l- turns around and looks at us and then asks, have you guys seen so-and-so? Well, we tell the guy that we haven't seen anyone and only just got here, to which he sighed and shrugs. 
and then pushes past us to leave the same way we just entered. And now our friend has an unusual name. So the chances that this guy was just looking for another random guy who had just appeared to have the same name was pretty low. But none of us had described what the guy looked like to our friend. He didn't seem to know who this guy was or who he could have been. And for the next few months, we were too scared to go back. When we did return about three, four months later, it was the middle of the summer vacation. And we thought it would be fun to climb up on the roof of the building and sunbathe. Upon climbing, we found the roof to be rather weak and to have caved in. But something made us take the risk and dare to venture out on the roof after all. A hole in the roof, which we figured would have to be directly above um, the room we had never been in. The hole in the roof was only about the size of a football. And one of my friends comes up with the idea to lower her arm down into the hole and film the room using her uh, her phone, her iPhone. Oops, sorry, guys. I'm trying to read this from my, from my phone here. Um... Anyways, uh, she puts her arm down, and as she filming, she suddenly let out a blood-curling scream, and it immediately retracts her arm, but her phone is no longer to be seen. She was certain that something had knocked it from her hand, and as we looked down the hole, we could see her phone laying on the floor. We climbed down the roof and entered the building, now intent on doing whatever it would take to get in the room. So our friend wouldn't have to return home without a phone and explain what happened. About 30 minutes later, we finally managed to make a hole in the door and put our hands inside. And when we try to use the door to handle, the door handle on the inside of the door, the door now opens without any trouble. We step inside and we all stare in silence. To this day, I have no idea what is what this room was doing in the school building and I sincerely hope it has never been used for what it looked like it was intended for. The room was was about 4 by 4 meters and the floor and the wall were all of sodded concrete. In the left corner of the room from where we entered was two metal bowls sitting on the floor. And at the back of the room was five chains dangling from the wall. Four with equal sized cuffs and one large that looked like it would fit around the neck. Needless to say, we swiftly, we swiftly picked up uh, my friend's phone and immediately left the place. However, the room had us both scared but also slightly intrigued. So after some talk back and forth that same night, we decided to go back to look at it again the following day. When we returned, the next day we found the door to be locked again. And someone had to cover up the hole. We had, uh, we had made the door with a large wooden boarded nail. Board on the door, sorry. Uh, once again, we immediately left. And after that, we, we never returned. Uh, 
I have no idea what we stumbled upon that day, but I'm certain my days hanging out at this place is what sparked my interest in abandoned places. Today, I am an experienced member of the Urbex community and have much more sinister experiences with this, like this place that I might share with uh, some of you guys. Um, it has been a dream to go back to that school and check out uh, if that room is still there. But unfortunately, the police, the place no longer exists and the area is now uh, a thrift store. Ooh, spooky. Doing all, you know what else is also spooky, guys? So, uh, I don't know if you guys ever heard of the, uh, the myth of the, of the Mothman. Uh, not the Mothman, I'm sorry, of the, uh, of the Houston, uh, Batman. If you haven't, uh, here's an article from, uh, from 1953 I'm actually gonna read for you guys. outside, isn't it? Not having to worry about any creepy people following us. You guys hear that? What is that noise? Alright guys, well, um, I guess as we, as I wait to look up for this, this article that I had. Oh, here we go. Alright. Alright, so I have to, like, scooch on down. Okay, so this is from June 18th, 1953. So this was almost about, what, like 70 years ago? Pretty much, almost. It says, an earthly Batman terrifies watchers. And an earthly figure of a man with wings swayed on the limb of a pecan tree in front of the yard of a Northside, shout out to Northside, Houston home early Thursday. A yellow patch of light surrounded the figure. Three people said they witnessed that sight as they sat on the front porch of their apartment house at 118 East 3rd. That's somewhere in the Heights. I sat there st stunned, said Mrs. Hilda Walker. I was amazed. She is a 23-year-old housewife. She's probably dead by now. Just going to say that. Um, shouldn't believe it. I saw it. Judy Meyer. 14. She's probably alive. Who knows? And nobody can say I didn't. Uh, I, I shouldn't believe it, said Howard Phillip, 33. He's most likely fucking dead. <laughs> uh, a tool plant inspector. I can hardly believe it, but I saw it. They described a figure in the tree as about six and a half feet tall. All three said, the Batman, 
was framed in a strange glow of light. Mrs. Walker gave this weird version. Sitting on the porch, it was hot. Of course, we all know it's hot in June. Um, That's why we were sitting on the porch. Suddenly, about 25 feet away, I saw a huge shadow across the lawn. I thought at first it was the magnifying reflection of a big moth caught in the nearby streetlight. Then the shadow seemed to bounce upward into a pecan tree. We all looked up. That's when we saw it. It was the figure of a man with wings like a bat. He was dressed in gray or black tight-fitting clothes. Uh, He stood there for about 30 seconds, swaying on the branch of the old pecan tree. I don't know. Pecan, pecan, who fucking knows, man? I'm just going to say how I feel it. We say in Texas, we say pecan or pecan. I don't know. Who gives a fuck? Suddenly, the light began to fade slowly. Little Judy screamed as the light died out and the figure disappeared. She continued her chilling story. A loud swoosh. Immediately afterwards, we heard a loud swoosh over the house tops across the street. It was like a white flash of a torpedo-shaped object. Mr. Phillips said, It had the exact appearance of a man dressed in a tight-fitting uniform similar to a paratrooper. He was encased in a halo of light. I've heard so much about flying saucer stories, and I thought all those people were telling all all those people telling the stories were crazy. But now, I don't know what to believe. I may be nuts, but I saw it. Whatever it was, he said. After the thing disappeared. We looked across the street and saw a flash of light rise from another tree and it take off like a jet. Mrs. Walker reported the affair to police Thursday morning. The police said they are investigating. It seems it's it's so weird because even after that uh, incident in 1953... It didn't happen again until apparently some stories of some people back in the 90s say that they, they saw the the Batman um, again on some rooftops. Um, but who knows? I mean, nobody has seen or witnessed seeing the Batman in over 70 years. So um, who knows? Um, there are so many other fucking creepy ass stories, guys, um, that are here in Houston. Um, we have a goat man. I don't know if you guys know that. Uh, I don't, I think he's out in Channel View or Pasadena or Beaumont. I forgot. Um, but, um, I'm going to look closer to the fire so you guys can hear the, 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 the fire. Anyways, yeah, there's a. It's a creepy ass goat man going around. Uh, it's been some years. I know um, Christopher Varela, um, who is a part of the Houston Historical Committee, 
also knows about some creepy, creepy stories um, that have happened around here in Houston and the surrounding areas. Um, we actually did an episode about that um, way back in season one. Um, it's season one, episode three, and we talk about the Goat Man. Everybody knows about Mothman, of course. There's a uh, apparently a, uh, a a cult, a satanic cult, um, who performs their rituals at the end of the road, um, so dark and so scary that people don't dare go down there. Day or night. Uh, there's been UFO sightings uh, back in the 80s, actually. If you look up um, UFOs, Huffman, Texas, there's actually a story about a mother, uh, her her mother, and her child. Um, they were driving, and... Uh, out in Huffman, Texas, so everybody knows that's like really wooded area, and especially back in the 80s, like 30, 40 years ago, um, you know, it's just nothing but woods, of course, um, so they're driving, and they, they, they see this, 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 this UFO looking thing, it wasn't usually how UFOs look, how we think it is, like a flying saucer, this is more like a, like a, like a diamond shaped kind of aircraft, and they said that it just was in the middle of the street, just hovering up and down, up and down. Um, and then it kind of moved, and it was moving kind of closer to them. Um, they apparently didn't move at all. And, um, yeah, they, they, they say uh, with eyewitnesses, which was the three of them, that the, 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 the extraterrestrial craft hovered over their car, left burnt marks, and left them with, like, third-degree burns or two-second-degree burns. I forgot which where it was, but, um, yeah, it, it passed over their vehicle. And then, all of a sudden, like, six to eight um, army hel- uh, crafts, helicopters, uh, aircrafts just, like, surrounded the area and kind of was, like, guiding this foreign object. And then, after that, I think it, it took off and disappeared. I don't know. But the, the story of the, the son who's still alive, um, he wrote it in the book. He, he says he swears up and down what kind of craft it was and stuff like that. But I don't know. You guys, who knows? Like I said, who maybe there are aliens out there. Maybe not. Who knows? Maybe the Batman is still out there. Who knows? I mean, if he, if he is, then... Why not come out? <laughs> you know, especially people know here in Houston that we have um, the, the the Bat Cave Bridge over there, kind of closer to um, uh, what's it called? That one street. I'm sorry, guys. I'm blanking out. Anywho, yeah, I'm getting a little tired. It's just it's a nice ass warm fucking fire it's just <laughs> make me feel good anywho I'm out here all by myself dark so I don't know anywho let's read some more scary stories 
Here's this one by another Reddit, uh, a Reddit guy. It might be a little too much, it might be a lot, but who knows. He says, first off, a little backstory of my dad. The man has so much character and color to him. Though he is mostly a chilled out grandpa at this point, whose biggest offenses are uh, the like likes of placing a box of dead kittens in the topic hat when the family plays charades at the Christmas Eve get-together. Uh, when I was a kid, he was a crazy person. He was an amazing father, honest to a fault, and a character made of stone. He apologized when he felt he was wrong, and he would sit and cry with you when things were eating away at your self-esteem. However, as much as I owe him my morality and compassion towards others, I also held him an extremely demented and nothing is scared sense of humor. The man got more joy from life in tormenting his children than anything else. We lived on my grandmother's farm in rural Tennessee, and when the power would go out, which happened a lot out in the area, uh, he would dare me to run to the mailbox and then lock me outside. Mind you, this is 10 o'clock at night, and I'm about 10 years old. And he would laugh so hard I could hear him over my screams while I banged on the door from the outside, pleading to let me back in. He was the type of dad to wake you up in the morning by revving a chainsaw. What the fuck kind of dad is this? This must be white, of course. Uh, changing the clocks of the house to make you get ready for school at 2 a.m. And stand in the front porch with his tidy whities while you were getting on the bus in the morning and yell, I love you. I'm going to miss you so bad. In a voice that can only imply that he was suffering from severe brain damage. Anywho, in other words, he was always looking for a way to scare you, embarrass you, or just make you have a, such a crazy, unexpected experience that you would be guaranteed to remember him forever. And it worked. I love that man. Now, that was needed for context. And this story takes place in my second to last year on my grandmother's farm. I was about 17 years old. And had been working a job in a small town, stocking beer coolers and mopping the floors at a local gas station. I was driving home from work in my little truck. And about 10 p.m., as I pulled into the driveway, my headlights showed up the hill to my grandmother's house and panned down to the hill to the edge of our single wide mobile home. I stopped immediately. All four tires in the driveway, pointing straight to the end of the straight stretch of gravel. I could see my dad. His old flatbed truck and my mother's step my stepmother's minivan were parked pointing to the left. At the base of our trailer. He was standing behind them with his back to the headlights. Our chocolate lab, Cassie, sat at his feet, staring intently at him, paying no attention to the vehicle entering her 
territory, which was highly unlikely to her. I only stopped because it was so late. It's so unusual for my dad to be outside at this time. It was the middle of the week. He was usually passed out in his recliner wearing nothing but underwear with the History Channel quietly rambling on about the Civil War by this time. So I slowly proceed down the driveway. Our driveway was about half a football field in length. And as I drove slowly toward the bottom of the drive, my dad began to walk. Still with his back turned to me. And I stepped and stepped behind the vehicles. The height of my stepmom's van fully concealing him. It took another 15 seconds from that point for me to reach the end of the drive. And I pulled my truck in on the side of his flatbed, leaving me closest to the road. I grabbed my big gulp and got out of the truck. Dad. No response. Dad. Still nothing. Immediately, I, immediately, I got a bit creeped out. But then thought to myself, nearly as quick, this fucking dude is trying to scare me again. He must think I didn't see him. I got down on my knees and peered under the vehicles. His left boot. Unmistakable. Cassie's back, legs, and butt right beside him. Tail tucked in between her legs. I hollered out, you know, you're doing a crappy job of hiding, Dad. I can see your boots sticking out from behind the tire of the van. As I watched his left boot slowly slide to the right, it was concealed behind the tire with the other. Still no response. So I called for the dog. Cassie. She turned and literally scurried beneath the vehicles to get to me as if she was under heavy gunfire. She was whimpering when she got to me and acting very strange. As if she was terrified. She was acting how I would imagine a dog would act if they were constantly beat on. I had never seen her behave that way before. When she got to me and I placed my hand on her, you could almost hear her breath of sigh of relief. She was sticking to my legs like glue. And as I was still down on one knee and a bit off balance, she nearly knocked me over. I pet her for a moment and tried to comfort her, but she seemed like she was afraid of something. With her tail tucked between her legs, she pushed herself in between my legs as I stood up. It was after seeing how timid and odd Cassie was acting that I decided that I may be reading the situation and might need to get into the house. My dad was surely a prankster, but when he was caught, he was caught. He never drug things out once we caught on. He would come out and say something like, I guess you kids ain't as gullible as they used to be. I'm going to have to start stepping it up a notch. You know, Dad didn't drink much, and he never really got drunk. 
but I couldn't think of what the root of this odd behavior could possibly be. And it really started to weird me out. One last attempt of communication. Dad, I know you're there. I saw you when I pulled up the driveway. The jig is up. What the fuck are you doing out here? Still no response. I started out at the front port at the front of my truck. Uh, to round the vehicles and walked over to him. Cassie began to panic and whimpered loudly, still glued to the side of my ankles. Uh, crouched to the gravel with her head darting back and forth wildly. I stopped in front of my truck. I stand there for a moment in silence, waiting for something, but not sure what it was. And then announcing, well, I'm, I'm heading inside. I'll see you in a bit, weirdo. I turned to walk to the front porch, unconsciously building up speed as I first as I hit the first step. Cassie drops back and doesn't follow me onto the porch, but seems like to stand guard at the foot of the steps. Keys in hand, I'm already searching for the deadbolt key. Panic is building in my chest, but I'm not sure why. I heard hurriedly unlock the door and jump into the house. Swinging around and slam the door behind me, locking the deadbolt in one fluid motion. From behind, I hear a voice yell, What the hell? I spin around, my big gulp drops to the floor and explodes across the living room. There sits my dad, in his underwear, sitting up from deep sleep in his recliner. Uh, uh, Dad... I begin to hyperventilate and yell through gasps of air. There, There is a man in the driveway hiding behind the van. I, I thought it was you. I was talking to him, Dad. I nearly collapsed to the floor. Um, within 15 seconds, my dad is running out of the back door of the house with the spotlight and a handgun, still wearing his underwear. He was outside for what felt like forever. When he came in, he was pale as a sheet. He said something was definitely out there, but he couldn't see them. He could hear them running, but when he pointed the spotlight in the direction of the footsteps, there was no one. Crazy thing is our trailer sat out in front of a 150-acre cornfield, and it was off-season. So everything was tilled to down to the dirt. There was nowhere for anyone to hide. It was a terrifying experience. And I know it's one of the that, that seems easy to explain. But my brain really wants to tell me that I, I had just followed a car thief or something. Or maybe even stopped a possible home invasion. The thing is though, my dad has an unmistakable posture... And even more, an unmistakable walk. I know those weren't his boots that I saw under the van. I also know that if he had somewhere, somehow set it all up, I would have heard about it for years because it would have been one of his favorite stories to tell. How he scared me so bad when I was 17. And funny, and how funny it would have been. Um... He does tell people about his time from time. He, he does tell people about this from time to time. 
but he always ends up with the same details. That it wasn't until he was outside running around in his underwear with the handgun that he realized that Cassie had been sleeping in the floor next to his recliner when I ran in the door. Ooh. That's a creepy one, guys. Alright, well, uh, I'm going to take a second. I got to go take a leak. So when we come back, um, I read some more scary stories. And, uh, yeah, so, don't, uh, don't, uh, shit, something's fine, Anyways, I gotta go pee, so I'll be right back, guys. Whew, that felt good. Anyways, I had to pee real bad, you guys don't understand how bad I had to pee. So anyways, we're here. Reading scary stories and shit. Uh, I don't know if anybody's really scared about this, but um, I only had a few people give me some crazy um, fucking... I didn't, I didn't really have anybody give me any scary stories that they were willing to share because people just like to fucking look at my <laughs> my stories and not say shit. I mean, you would think people wouldn't have a scary story to tell if they did. But I guess maybe they're just too scared to talk about it. Who knows? I mean, you know, no pressure. Alright, so... I'm going to probably read you guys like another two. We'll make this a good hour episode. Because I got to get back to the fucking uh, tent and uh, get some sleep. So let's read this one. This guy's telling about his stories from Cuba. So this Redditor says, this story still gives me chills. Kind of like something out of a horror film. A few years ago, my family and friends and I took a vacation to Cuba to get away from the harsh, cold weather back home. It was pretty. It was a pretty big resort and packed with a lot of people. Their nights were always fun, full of drinking and fun and shit like that. But there was one night that was pretty abnormal. So when we bought our tickets, we got a package that included VIP club access to the resort. Um, the workers would take the tourists in a minibus, I'd say, as the club was on their, was on the other end of the resort, and that kind of uh, afar. This night I planned to be sober because since we were all far, I wanted to make sure that my friends and I got back to our room safe. So when we get to the club, and everyone else is dancing, drinking, enjoying you know, having a good time and shit. Now we meet a group of girls that told us that they were off from college and came down to Cuba for some time away from school. We partied with them all night. And while we were partying with them, there was this one girl in the group of uh, friends that was always smiling at me when, uh, when we danced and always looked back like she was talking to her, her friends about me. So since this was since I was on vacation... Uh, I took my shot and tried talking to her. I asked her what her name is, and she pulled me close in my ear and said, If I told you, I'd have to kill you. 
I laughed it off, of course. She was smiling when she said it. And the music was so loud, she'd had to say it in my, into my ear. Uh, so it was getting near... Um, ugh, sorry, guys. So it was getting near the end of the night. I'd say around 8, 3 a.m. And they wanted to take the group uh, picture. So I had my camera that I took just for uh, normal photos of scenery and stuff. So I gave it to a worker, and he took a big group photo of us. And this photo was all my friends and the other group of girls. I had my arm around the one girl I tried talking to. After we said our goodbyes, and uh, we went back to our rooms. When we got back to our room, my friend that shared a room with me knocked out drunk in bed. So he was asleep. I couldn't sleep as much as I was thinking about the girl and how much fun I had. I turned on my camera and was going through the photos of that night. And what happened next, I will never forget. And in the moment, it had me very, very scared. In this picture... The girl I had my arm around was an old lady with gray hair and a lot of wrinkles on her face. I almost threw my camera. I, 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 I couldn't believe it. I know you might think I put my arm around someone else by accident. But there was not really any old ladies at the club. And I was completely sober. I turned off my camera and put my, cam- put my camera back in the bag and put it under my bed. The thought of that picture had me up at night, uh, stuck figuring out what the hell happened. When I woke up in the morning, I gathered all my friends and wanted to show them so bad. They all got together in my room, and they didn't believe me. I pulled out my camera and went through the pictures, and the picture was gone. I went through all 572 pictures, and it was gone. They didn't believe me. So we went out for lunch at one of the restaurants at the resort when we ran into the group of girls. When I asked them where that friend was, she said, oh, we don't know her much. We just met her yesterday at the club, and she said she's a student and studies in Connecticut. As soon as I heard that, I had chills all over my body. One of the most bizarre, crazy-ass things that happened to me in going to Cuba. I don't know. Maybe he deleted the fucking photo. There goes. There's a dog barking. I mean, he's always barking. She's barking in the fucking tent, guys. Alright. We got about one more story. But hold on. Let me go ramp this fire up a little bit. Throw in some firewood to make it fucking, you know, stay alive. Like I'm trying to do outside. Anyways, I live in the deep woods in southern Missouri. The nearest civilization outside of a trailer house down the road is a gas station town a couple miles away. I lived here since I was six months old and spent my days in the woods. I don't remember a time where I didn't know the winding paths and clearing like the back of my hand. 
There was always stories of something in the woods. A local tribesman told a uh, told tale of a spirit that wandered the woods at night. I was deeply invested in the story of ghosts and monsters and all that sort of stuff. So the tribesman tale was pretty run of the mill. I didn't think much of it until a few years ago. One night around uh, 2010, I was walking the usual trail, and I got a feeling that something wasn't right. It was like it was like I was walking three feet behind my body. It was a sound of a snapping branch that brought my body and mind back together. But it wasn't a twig or a small limb. Uh, it was a large oak branch, about as wide as me. It hit the ground with a hard thud. And after that, the woods became completely silent. No owls or coyotes howling, not even a night breeze. The only sound was my own stunned breath. Uh, out of the darkness, two glowing eyes looked directly at me from the shadows. They were several yards down the rail trail, yet seemed several feet off the ground. A low thundering growl came from the same direction. It was like the growl of a tiger mixed with the bear. I wanted to run back home, but my legs wouldn't budge. My breathing picked up and became more and more like gasping for air. The growling stopped as the creature started to turn around and go deeper into the woods. Slowing me, its form in the moonlight. It didn't seem of this world. I can only describe it as a black mountain lion with the head and body size of a grizzly bear. It looked like it hadn't eaten in a month. It was nothing more than skin and bones. Only when I was uh, alone again in, in, in the woods with my legs let my spirit back home and locked myself in my room with a survival knife. Occasionally, on the quietest nights of the year, I can hear it outside my window. And the same eyes from that night appear out of the darkness. I never go outside with my knife anymore. Without my knife anymore. Even during the day. I've had several friends that have come over for the day. Go home at night and tell me how they feel like they're being watched from outside. I don't know guys. Sometimes I feel like that too. You ever feel like that? Like something's watching you? Or you ever have like this fear if you see something? It, it, the mind is so crazy how you can there, there can be nothing there but your eyes trick you into like seeing something for me several times I've like walked in the middle of the night and I've seen something like form in front of me and like I freak out and I kind of like ignore it but um, sometimes my mind plays tricks on me I, I can say that I, I, I can admit that uh, I do get scared from time to time from things that I see and I'm like what the fuck and you know my grown ass man <laughs> but apparently that doesn't mean shit <laughs> to anybody anymore um but yeah I, I've never witnessed anything like that never nothing paranormal or anything like that I know there's a lot of crazy shit that's happened like 
in in Houston like that. Like I was saying, um, Jefferson Hospital. If you guys don't know about that, that's the. Um, if you guys have ever gone to like the Amtrak building, when you guys ride like the train, right across the street is a building. It looks like some lofts and stuff like that. Well, it used to be uh, a hospital. I think it was called Jefferson Davis Hospital. And then it became an asylum, <laughs> an insane asylum for the crazy people. Um, and uh, apparently, like in the back, there's like this little building, I guess, where it used to be the crematorium, where they used to cremate the dead bodies. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Houston's pretty creepy, guys. I'm not even going to lie. There's fucking stories of goat men, bat men, cults, uh, fucking ghosts. Fucking all kinds of crazy shit here in the fucking south, bro. I mean, it's the south. What do you fucking expect? Anyways. I'm gonna read one more story. And then it's time to go to bed. Because, well shit, you know. I gotta go to work, guys, later. (sighs) So anyways. This is the last story of the night. And then we can all go to sleep. Hardly anyone knows it, but Windfall, Indiana exists. Never would have thought that. It exists in such a way that when you're there, you feel like you're completely separate from the world. No shops, no restaurants, no anything. Just a gas station, a bar, and a post office of some dirt roads. Well, that sounds like some towns here in Texas, some little small towns. It has an energy to it. Like you can feel a thickness in the air that offsets your intuition. It makes a human being's natural sense spike. Like an animal who knows a predator is nearby. At least that's how I personally feel about it. The entire place is off-putting. The people aren't much better either. I was only 13 when we moved there. My older sister was 16 and my younger uh, one was 12. Both of them did considerably better than I did socially at school. And I was often left by myself at our new home. Mom was always working and, uh, and often stayed after hours. She said it was because we needed the money. And I'm positive we did, but I think it was more so to keep her mind off of the forest. The new house was small, three bed, one bath with a dining room and a living room. We had a fenced uh, in the backyard and a muddy lawn with, uh, with an old tree sagging over it. It was dead of the winter, and as a 13-year-old girl going through her first many depressions episodes to come, I submerged myself into the internet. It's kind of weird that they got internet in this small-ass town. Fuck. Y'all got AT&T? Or y'all got fucking, uh... <laughs> fucking, what's it called? Xfinity? I came home every day into an empty house and made myself a snack and planted myself on the couch to get lost in the YouTube rabbit holes until my eyes hurt. Haven't we all done that? I know I have. We'd only live in the house for a couple weeks, but I was, into, I was beginning to adjust to the new life. Sure, I didn't like windfall, but I wasn't afraid of our house. School was miserable, but I cherished my time 
to myself. Uh, I felt as it was I was getting a small taste of the adult life. 13-year-old me was so eager to have. I wasn't scared to be alone until I caught sight of him. Sometimes in my YouTube crusade, I get distracted by the TV and my laptop screen would fall asleep. I'd look down and juggle my mouse and get back to it. But this time, there was a small shape standing behind me in the doorway of my mom's bedroom. Just a short apparition with noticeably spiked hair. He didn't move, but the hair on the back of my neck stood up and my skin began to break out in goosebumps. As quickly as he appeared, he was gone. I hadn't turned to face him, but I knew in my heart it just had to be a little boy. I wasn't afraid of him. The house was old, and I felt that maybe he was just curious. I didn't get the feeling that he was bad, or maybe I should fear him. He just surprised me, was all. It became normal to see him. Most times he was in the reflection of my screen. Other times I'd look up and see him leaning against the doorway of the dining room. He was never in color, only a black shadow that faded away as soon as I blinked. I didn't want to tell my sisters or my mom. Um, I'd been getting horribly bullied at school nearly every day, and I felt if I were to say something, they'd make fun of me or simply call me crazy. Uh, I didn't want them to think I couldn't handle being alone. Either way, uh, he was harmless at first. Soon he began to appear closer to me, or things in the house would fall over mysteriously. Cabinets would slam, or the TV would turn off. Curtains would sway as if someone had run their hand through them. I'd just blare my headphones and stay put on the couch, staring at my laptop and praying that somebody, anybody would come home. I'd see him and my face and palms would get begin to sweat. I started to feel like maybe the curious spirit wasn't so innocent. Like he was teasing me or pushing his limits to see what he could do to instill fear in me. I'd never tried to talk to him or communicate, and quite honestly, I had no interest in trying. The first time I ever saw him in detail was in my bed. My little sister and I shared a room, and I had a top bunk while she was at the bottom. I began to wake in the middle of the night, sweating with my heart racing. Each night, I look over at the railing and see him standing in the dead center of my room, staring at my little sister as she slept. He could have only been like seven years old. He was skinny and had a red plaid button shirt tucked into black pants. He had spiked bleach blonde hair and pale blue eyes. What stuck out about him was how white his skin was. He looked nearly albino, yet his lips were in the shape of deep purple. I'd be too afraid to close my eyes or to even breathe. i wake up in the nights to come, holding my eyes shut because I knew when I opened, he'd be there. Some nights my sister wouldn't be in her bed because she was still young enough to be uh, in my, wanting to be in my mom's bed. He still just stood there, staring, not acknowledging me or letting it be known that he knew I was there. 
um, but I knew he was. As I kept this secret, our household, be- our household began to fall apart. My sisters and I were constantly fighting that depression was worsening and self-harm crept into my daily life. My mother began to drink heavier and in fits of rage or sadness, she'd say things she didn't mean. She'd change into a person filled with anger when she'd won. Uh, she'd even, well, when she'd once been so loving and sweet. My family began to feel like strangers to me. This led to even more time in the house on my own as my sisters used their friend's house as an escape. I had made no friends at my new school, so the only thing I could do to get away was to take walks to the gas station or to play with the dog the next door neighbors kept chained to a tree. Every time I see the little boy, I'd stop what I was doing and go sit with the dog. I'd stay put for a few hours until someone home arrived home. Things hit their peak when it came time for me to bathe. I love baths, but for some reason when I took baths at this house, I felt nothing but anxiety. My chest would tighten and burn when I'd, when I'd lay back to wash my hair and feel like I couldn't bring myself back up. I'd scream for my mother because I often felt paralyzed with fear. Even just looking at the bathtub gave me an uneasy feeling and set my heartbeat banging through my ears. Eventually, my anxiety of baths evolved into a full-fledged fear of water. Swimming pools, baths, lakes, it all ruined for me. Uh, When I think back on it, it never felt as if the house had happiness to it. Only darkness. And that same energy, that windfall, it emitted so strongly. I was overcome with relief when my mom let us know that she and my step had worked my stepdad had worked things out and we moved back home. I couldn't have gone out of that house fast enough. The only thing I didn't want to leave was the dog the neighbor's dog. I had learned to show away those memories, the little boy's face popped up in my dream from time to time, but I got over my anxiety of being home alone. My mom got better and eventually she went back to being her old self again. Time passed and the depression got easier to manage. And nearly, I'd nearly forgotten about him. Uh, about him. We'd all been drinking around a bonfire one night, shooting the shit and talking about old memories. I was 20 and now felt that I could bring up the boy and handle whatever backlash I got from it. I asked my mom if she remembered the house if she ever saw anything there. Oh, for sure. The place was haunted as shit. We were exact, were her exact words. Yeah, my older sister chimed in. There was a little boy, but he was not a little boy. I felt my heart drop to my stomach. He was evil. I'd always see him running around the uh, dining room table, standing in my mom's doorway. That's why I was always at Olivia's, because I hated that fucking house. She continued. I told them my story, all of it. I told them why I suddenly became so afraid of water and why I hated being alone. It wasn't just him. There was an old woman there too, my mom said. She'd stand in the dining room and tell me to get out of her house. I'd wake up in the middle of the night and she'd be standing at the end of my bed staring, pissed as hell. 
That's why I'd get up in the middle of the night and grab your sister out of bed so she could sleep next to me because I was so scared. The worst thing, it, the worst time it happened, I woke up and saw the little boy sitting on my dresser with his swinging with his legs. He hopped off the dresser and walked to the side of my bed and jumped at me. He jumped straight at me and then disappeared. My mom continued. When we left, I looked up the house and turns out the old lady used to own that house and she died there. What about the little boy? Y'all little boy died in the house back there in the 70s. He drowned to death. Since leaving the house, I returned to Windfall a handful of times to visit family. The energy is still there. That heaviness and otherworldliness. As years goes on, more and more ghost stories emerge from Windfall and the people who've lived there. Native American spirits and little children. There's something about that place that falls just perfectly on a wave of paranormal possibility. It radiates with things I don't know if we as a species will ever begin to wrap our heads around. Windfall, Indiana exists, and so does everything else in it. Well, that one's kind of creepy. I'm not going to fucking lie. Well, guys, this has been nice. Chilling out here in the fucking camp, fire, woods, day to night, doing an episode. Um, just checking my phone, seeing if everything's cool. Well, it's 12 o'clock, and, uh, yeah, I hope when you guys hear this episode tomorrow, or tonight, early in the morning, uh, you guys get a little scared, like I did, because you never know what's, what's following us, you never know what's behind us. Um, if you want to hear some more scary stories, like I said, check out that episode, Episode 3 of Season 1. Um, even when I recorded with um, Mega Man, um, he told me some scary stories and some paranormal uh, things that he has witnessed uh, before. Um, they're not skinwalkers, but they're um, like these creepy hooded things that jump from house to house. I forgot what they're called. You can ask him yourself, but Mega Man has talked about it before. He's told me he's had some scary stories. And some paranormal things happen to him as well. Um, I know a bunch of people that do, but like I said, they never shared their stories, so we'll never get to know. Anyways, guys, I'm tired. I'm gonna head back um, to the tent. Uh, I'll see you guys later. Um, have a good night, and I'll see you guys next week. <laughs>